0: You're listening to a sermon from St. John's Anglican in Cranbourne. To find out more about us, head to cranbourneanglican.org.au. Well, I wonder if you are at peace. Uh, If peace is an absence of war, then we could say that Australia at the moment is at peace. We pulled out the last of our troops from Afghanistan earlier uh, this month. Though uh, after this week and all the news about Australia's purchase of nuclear submarines... Uh, There's been a lot of talk about the chances of war ahead, especially with China. And so if as a country we're at peace, it's a it's a fairly uneasy peace, isn't it? Which points us to the fact that peace is, of course, more than just the absence of war. Uh, Peace can be not just a national thing, but a personal thing as well. Do we have peace in our hearts? In the Bible, peace or shalom in the Old Testament in Hebrew is its about relational harmony. It's about human flourishing. It's about fullness of life. It's not just an absence of the bad things. It's a presence of the good. So a nation can not be at war but still not have peace. And you cannot be at open conflict with someone else and still not have peace in your heart. Uh, are you at peace? It, it can be fairly hard to be at peace at a time like now, can't it? Uh, when we're in lockdown, when so much that normally contributes to a full and uh, full and harmonious life is, is absent relationships and community and being able to visit the beautiful places and do meaningful work, these things that normally bring peace to our heart and yet we can't. Are you at peace? Do you want to be? Well, our Romans passage today says that the reason it is so hard to find true and deep and lasting peace, even when things aren't like they are right now, is because outside of faith in Christ, we're actually perpetually at war. Can you see the portrait that Romans 5, 1 to 11, paints of who you were if you have faith in Christ and who you still are if you don't yet have faith in Christ? It's really revisiting a picture that Paul has painted in Romans chapters 1 through to 3, and it's not a very flattering picture. Uh, Look at the words to describe us that you see in our passage. In verse 6, ungodly. Verse 8, we're sinners. Verse 10, we're God's enemies. The human heart outside of Christ is actually at war with God. Uh, some, like the popular atheists, are uh, openly at war. One of the things that I find really interesting about the modern popular atheists is just how angry they seem to be at God. But far more common, I think, the, the form this war takes, the more common form, is it's a much more less obvious. A uh, much more covert kind of form. Uh, in, mili- in military circles, they talk about uh, kinetic war and irregular or covert war. And kinetic war is, is the war you're probably more familiar with. It's bombs and guns and soldiers. And it's really obvious when you're in a kinetic war. Irregular or non-kinetic war is much more covert and hard to see Com- you know, compromising or disrupting computer systems or misinformation campaigns, electronic warfare. Uh, This kind of war is often waged but not acknowledged. In fact, one of our senior commanders in the Australian Army, in speaking to people uh, within the army last year, actually said, this is a type of war we're already engaged in right now. Well, for the popular atheist, it's more like the obvious kinetic warfare, but when it comes to war with God in Australia, most, I think, are engaged in a regular war or covert war, a war that's being waged but isn't acknowledged. It's an ignoring of God or a, a subtle way in which you just make life for a Christian a little bit difficult or It's the way in which we just pursue things that aren't God. Or we decide not to do what God calls us to do. But whatever form it takes, whether it's the kinetic war or the covert war, both are just as virulently against God and makes us, outside of faith in Jesus, God's enemies. It's also true to say that if we're at war with God, God is also at war with us. He's actively angry with us, not with a human kind of anger that's petty or uncontrolled. You'll remember we looked at this in Romans chapter 1 a, a number of weeks ago. Uh, God's anger is almost entirely different to ours. Uh, his is a wrath... A wrath, that is, his holy hostility to evil, his refusal to condone it or come to terms with it, his judgment upon it. Without faith in Jesus, we're enemies of God. But the war is asymmetrical. Uh, One side is infinitely more powerful than the other. Uh, Just as we would not last long by ourselves in a war against China... May God forbid that ever happens, so we would not last long in open battle with God. In verse 6, we're described as powerless. When we were still powerless, see, we're totally overmatched, and there is nothing that we can actually do to bring peace in this war. Nothing. And so if there's to be peace, it has to be a peace that comes from God. What does God do? Well, Jesus in our Gospel reading said, Love your enemies that you may be children of your Father in heaven. What did God do? God loved his enemies. Verse 6. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, you can understand someone dying for a spouse or a family member whom you love and uh, or a child in in war there are many examples of people who have died for their comrades but die for an enemy uh, when I was a, a teenager, I was a, I was a bit of a romantic and um, not very confident. And so if I had a crush on someone, there was a good chance they actually didn't know I existed. And so I would imagine uh, them being in some terrible peril, and then I would heroically step in and save them. So the tree is falling down on top of them, and I would come and i push them out of the way, and the tree would fall on me and hopefully not kill me. Uh, because that would defeat the entire purpose, because afterwards they're meant to see what a wonderful person I am and, and fall desperately in love with me. Now, I never imagined doing that for the class bully. You know, the tree is falling on the class bully and I, I, I push them. I, you just don't do that. For a good person, someone might possibly dare to die, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you're an enemy of God, God the Son, Jesus died to save you. The Greek philosopher Plato once said, only the dead have seen the end of war. Well, we've seen the end of war with God. And in Jesus' death we have died and so seen the end of this war. Galatians 2.20 says that we were crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live but Jesus Christ who lives in me. Jesus' death brings an end to this war for those who trust in him. And so we're justified through faith, verse 1, by his blood, verse 9, saved from God's wrath, verse 9, and reconciled, verses 10 and 11. Our rebellion is erased, God's wrath is spent, and we are reconciled to God, we come back together, There's, the relationship is close and intimate again. There's nothing in the way, nothing between us. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. And peace is not just an absence of war. When word came that uh, World War II had come to an end, uh, that peace at last had come, there was dancing on the streets of Melbourne Uh, These images are actually of the streets of Melbourne when that news came through. And it wasn't just that the threat of bombs and attack had been taken away, but the joy of being reunited with loved ones, of relationships resumed, of restrictions ended and life returning to how it should be, to peace, to shalom. Well, once the war uh, on this virus that we're currently battling is finally over and the restrictions we're currently under have ended, I wonder if we'll feel kind of similarly. I don't know that they'll be dancing on the streets and I'm sure we'll still have the masks on while we are if we, if we do. But it would be wonderful, won't it? But even more profound and more joyous and more glorious is peace with God. Not just an absence of war, but a restoration of relationship, the end of struggle, deep community, perfect harmony, the enjoyment of plenty in relationship with God. And, you know, the Bible says that we already have it. You have peace with God. Objectively. This is something that we have now. If you trust in Jesus' death for you, you have peace with God right now, if he died for you when you were in an enemy, now that this enmity has been taken away, you can be absolutely sure that he will save you, give you new life that comes through the resurrection of Jesus. Are you at peace? Well, objectively, Romans 5 says yes, you are. You have peace with God. But we don't always feel it, do we? We don't always feel it, and especially at times like this. One of the great things that stands in the way of our peace is our sufferings. In a pandemic, uh, there are many opportunities to suffer, aren't there? Being cooped up in a house uh, with a whole lot of people can really try relationships. Relationships. Uh, Being cooped up in a house cut off from others, from friends or family, has its sufferings. For many, uh, their health is suffering. For others, there's financial stress. How can you experience this peace that you objectively have in our hearts, in your heart? Well, our passage has some surprising words when it comes to our suffering. says, we also glory in, we also boast in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Having peace with God actually means, very surprisingly, that we can boast in, we can rejoice even, glory in our sufferings. Now how, does, how does that work? Why, why is that? Because the road that connects present grace with future glory is actually one that's paved uh, with suffering and it's made primarily through the sufferings of Christ, but a road in which we share. So as we suffer, we learn to persevere. Uh, persevering here means uh, enduring patiently while keeping on going. The thing about uh, our sufferings, uh, the thing about, sorry, the thing about perseverance is that it's not something you can just get easily It's not something, you know, you can walk into the bookshop and you see a very small book uh, with the title Five Easy Steps to Perseverance and read that and you get to the end of it and you think, well, I've mastered perseverance, fantastic. No, you can't actually master perseverance without treading the road of suffering. Perseverance is produced only on the difficult way. And then perseverance then produces character. Now character here is talking about a character that is tested and tried and found to be true and worthy and trustworthy. You know, it's quite easy to be a person of character when nothing is hard, to be an upstanding member of society when everything is going well. But when suffering comes, we discover more who we are. Suffering can press us deeper into being people who are like Jesus, can give us more, a more Christ-like character as we look to Jesus and his sufferings and we learn from him and we, we step in his steps. And then character produces hope. Now, in a sense, the, the newest Christian whether they've suffered or not, it has the sure and the eternal hope in the the glory that is in Jesus. You don't have to have suffered to actually have that hope, but it's entirely possible that this hope is shallow and it's untested. The Christian who's suffered really discovers what it means to hope. There are times when it's actually all that you have, and so you hold on to it with all that you are. And it grows solid and true even as you do. So say I'm at the bottom of a cliff, uh, ready to go rock climbing. I might not be the elite athlete uh, that, uh, that Jimmy is, but I'm at the bottom of the cliff and I'm ready to, uh, to go. I've got a rope and I have a hope and an expectation that this rope will hold me if I fall. But that hope or expectation is of an entirely different character and quality. When I'm 100 metres up the cliff and I reach for a hold and the hold gives way and I fall. I plunge a few metres down and then the, the rope suddenly begins to hold me. And suddenly my hope in the rope is is much more real and it's much more immediate and it's much more vital and suddenly I know by experience that it can hold me and I hold on to it with all that I am. That's, that's what sufferings can do for our eternal hope. When things are easy, we tend to hold it loosely, forgetting that without it we, we die. And we can wander off from it and we can start climbing without it. Well, as you endure these days, what's the hope that you're holding on to? Uh, The lifting of the lockdown? Uh, There's an announcement today as to the pathway out and I read the title of a news article earlier this morning. It said it encouraged people to temper their hope in this because it's unlikely to deliver everything that we want. What are you hoping in? A holiday? Or just the end of all of this? I mean, I'm looking forward to those things too, absolutely. Absolutely. But there's a much more wonderful and solid and vital hope to hold on to. Hope of eternal glory. The enjoyment of shalom, of peace. Perfect community. Human flourishing with God forever. Do you want peace? I think the key to having that peace in your heart now is to be holding on to that hope. And so you'll be able to look out over the sufferings, over the difficulties over the troubles and know that God will keep holding you. Do you want peace? Well, that hope lasts. And the reason you can have confidence in that hope, our passage says, is because the Holy Spirit's been poured into our hearts. And what does the Holy Spirit tell us? It tells us that God loves us abundantly, completely. And if we know that to the very depths of who we are, then we can look out on this time. And although there is peace nowhere inside, it can be in our heart. Do you want peace? Well, perhaps you don't yet have faith. You're still investigating what Christianity is all about. You know, you can't actually have peace until you have peace with God. It's just not possible in this world. If you're at war with God, can I say, lay down your weapons. God loves you. He's died for you. You can be reconciled and at peace today. Do you want peace? If you have faith in Jesus, then however you might feel, the objective truth is that you do have peace with God. You don't have to worry about how he sees you. You're totally reconciled to him and justified. And he looks upon you with his great love and he gives you his spirit. Do you want peace? Well, there's a confidence you can have in God's love for you and the eternal glory that is to come that enables you to look on the sufferings of today and not be shaken. That enables you to persevere to grow, to be more like Jesus and to hold all the more tightly to the eternal hope that he's given therefore since we have been justified through faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand oh Heavenly Father we We pray that you would help us to stand. For so many of us, peace is so far from our hearts. How many of us have had such blessed and comparatively easy lives before now that we confess that perhaps we haven't had to hold on to you as we know we need to now. And so, Heavenly Father, help us to hold on to you and would you hold on to us? We thank you that while we were still your enemies, still powerless, you loved us and our Lord Jesus died for us. We praise and we thank you for the hope of glory, of experiencing the fullness of your peace. Would you bring that to our hearts even now? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.